Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who often stands on rooftops with his falcon. It's Greg. <laughs> How are you today, Greg? I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm in the right country for a bit of falconry. It's, so I, yeah, uh, I, I th- that's exactly what yeah. I thought. You know, it, I remember when I lived in, in Dubai, in my local pub, there was a, a guy who used to come in, uh, an Arabic gentleman. Yeah. He would often come in with his falcon. Yeah. Just sit, sit at the bar, uh, at the table with his, his falcon just sat there and you'd kind of be, you'd be kind of shitting yourself really because <laughs> you're in this pub and you're like, there's a fucking literal bird of prey over there yeah. um, that could easily peck my eyes out. But he always seemed good natured. Well, whenever, I mean, I've not seen it for a while, but um, whenever I fly between the Middle Eastern countries, I would sometimes see guys who would take their falcons on the plane, you know, so they would just like, mm. sit, I mean, obviously they're not, they're short flights and they would just be sitting in their seat with their falcon on their arm. I was telling somebody, I was at a, I was at a party in Glasgow just before the pandemic with my dad and uh, we were talking to this guy who's a falconry guy and I was telling him how I'd seen Arabic guys taking their birds on the plane and he said, he said, so we're in a big risk there, and I was like, "Why?" But like, if it got loose, the, the air pressure or something might send it loopy or something like that. He said, "No." He said, that "If they shite, it can it fa- it fires out their arse, and it will go for like about <laughs> it, 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 you know, we were in a, a golf club function hall." He said, "He said where that wall is, which was about twenty meters away." He said, "It easily hit that wall." I was like, "Jesus." <laughs> Oh yeah. So that'd be quite a surprise if you're just sitting down to you know watch some in-flight entertainment and then a big falcon shape <laughs> comes hot runny heading towards hot, you. Hot runny falcon shape splatters all over your yeah. all over your uh, your falafel sandwich and your little carton of water. <laughs> wow, who knew? That is impressive yeah. stuff. Jesus. Never uh, would never have expected no, me that. Neither. So yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. It's an edu- educational podcast yeah, today, now, folks. Um how's everything else? All good? All very well indeed. Yep, all very well. What about yourself? What's been going on? Yeah, all good. Yes, no, all fine. Uh yeah. Everything's just grand at the moment. Thank you very much. So no complaints. Yeah, all good. I'm uh, I'm just excited to to delve into to what's been happening in Scotland over the oh, last couple of weeks. Okay then. Well in that case we better cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so uh, what have you seen in the news over the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye and you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Okay, well, my first story comes from the Scottish Sun uh, from the 13th of April. Um, The headline reads, Bloody hell, I'm a male GP and I was stopped from donating blood after refusing to confirm if I was pregnant. So this is uh, (laughs) Dr. Stephen McAndrew. He said that he booked an appointment at a blood donation centre in Ayr on April the 11th, but a nurse told him he could not attend unless he formally declared he was not carrying a child. He said, I can't believe they would refuse a donation from a man based on the fact I refused to say if I was pregnant. The doctor, who's based at a surgery in Presswick in Ayrshire, said he was unwilling to back down and tick the box in a form due to the principle of the matter. He said, to say it's bonkers would be an understatement. I have a nagging feeling that it is political correctness gone too far. Trying to pl- <laughs> trying to placate and pacify the gender brigade, whoever the gender brigade are. <laughs> 
And Dr McAndrew added, they simply said I could not donate if I didn't answer the question. The Scottish National Blood Transfusion Service said that since April last year, they had asked all donors, are you pregnant or have you been pregnant in the last six months? A spokeswoman said, we appreciate that for many donors, including some female donors, such as postmenopausal donors, this question will not be relevant. The spokeswoman said that the service would change the policy later this year in light of concerns. She added, following feedback, we are planning to update the wording of the question. So, I'm just wondering who the gender brigade are. <laughs> so I am. Yeah, because I'm familiar with the green brigade, the, the Celtic fans. Yeah. Um, but, I've, yeah, the gender brigade. I'm with the boys brigade. Um <clears throat> oh yeah and, of and, course, yeah, and the girls' brigade, of course. Um, but yeah, just is there, is there a girls' brigade? Yeah, I always th- it's not it's not the brownies. No, no, that's the, or, the brownies yeah. are like the they're like the female cubs. But I remember I I was at Scouts ah. for a while when I was in my sort of early teens, um, and I was there just after they started letting girls join the Scouts. So girls can girls have got the choice now whether to go to guides or whether to go to scouts. Boys okay. boys only have the choice of scouts. They can't go to girl guides or the brownies if they don't want to. It's, that's the, the gender brigade gone yes, mad, isn't it? Political you know, correctness gone mad. To, that's, that's terrible. So he wasn't able to give blood because he refused to oh, answer a question. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that he just fucking tick the box. You know what I mean? Yeah. To say that. Yeah. And you have know. a laugh about it. You don't you don't fucking write to the sun. You know what I'm saying? You won't be you won't, <laughs> you won't believe this mild inconvenience that's happened to me this week. <laughs> you know, I uh, I I can't give blood in the Netherlands because I um I'm from the UK. Yeah. And I was in the UK between nineteen eighty and nineteen ninety six. So if you've lived in the UK between 1980 and 1996, you're not allowed to give blood in the Netherlands. That's because of the mad cow stuff, right? It is yeah, indeed, yeah. yes. It's because of mad cow disease. So <laughs> it's um, it's quite worrying. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's the, same, it's the same here as well. I can't give blood here either for the same reason. Exactly yeah. the same reason. And they, they won't. It's, just, it's the same reason that a lot of countries still don't import British beef. Um because of that, mm. but uh, but I think if you'd eaten some like mad cow between 1989 and 1996, I think it may be about your system by now. <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah, possibly. You think you would know about yeah. it, um, or yeah, as you say, it might have been out your system. You never know, though. They do say that um, that red meat does stay in your body for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, but I, I suspect not like almost forty years though, <laughs> thirty-five years. Yeah. No, no, that's true. Yeah. That's very true. So. Oh well, so um, so what's going to happen with this guy? Is it just he can't give blood and and that's it? And he's just gone to the sun to get his few minutes. Well, of it seems that way. Um, obviously, the the spokeswoman from the Scottish Blood Transfusion Service has said that they're that they're planning to change the question or or the wording of the question um, following some feedback that they've had. Mm. Um, I, I suspect it's just been a mistake, an administrative mistake, and no one's brought any attention to it because not not everybody is as up their own arse as Dr. Stefan and probably just saw that, you know, sh- showed it to their wife or girlfriend, had a good chuckle about it, um, or their boyfriend, had a good chuckle about it, uh, ticked the box and then went and gave blood and saved some lives. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think that would be the, the correct thing to do. Definitely. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's old Dr. Stefan. What's your uh, what's your first story this week? Well, we're going to go to Aberdeen for my first story this week, Greg. Now, it, it, particularly 
Union Street. Mm-hmm. Now, we were back in Aberdeen. I mean, last year you were back in Aberdeen very yeah, recently as well. Um, how, how would you describe Union Street nowadays? Um, I would say that it's seen better days. It's probably mm. the, the pragmatic uh, thing to say about Union Street. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think it, it, it's very much the case. And it's not just the view that is shared by you and mm. I. It's also the view shared by Chanel. Oh. Uh, This is from the Scottish Sun last week and fragrance giant Chanel has stopped their perfume from being sold on Union Street in Aberdeen because of how run down it is. What? Uh, The global perfume brand has ditched its account with a local pharmacy. So you will be familiar with uh, Charles Mickey's, Mm. which is at the kind of top of Union Street. It's an institution. It's been there, well, since I can remember. Um, So uh, Mickey's Pharmacy in Aberdeen will no longer be allowed to sell the luxury French brand after bosses flagged concerns over the state of Union Street. It was reported that uh, Chanel were not happy with the surrounding businesses on the major shopping street. Uh, this move was revealed after local jewellers Jameson and Carey failed to stop a takeaway opening up nearby. Mm. The news that Chanel had pulled out of their agreement came amid the takeaway row when Mickey's PR manager, Rosemary Mickey, supported the jewellers online. Uh, The business boss spoke out to the highlight of the issue um, to say that it could continue to hammer local businesses. She claimed Mickey's, which first opened in 1921, Greg, um, lost the account because of this issue. Uh, Rosemary, who was the great-granddaughter of founder Charles Mickey, um, posted to LinkedIn saying, we have personal experience with this type of issue. Uh, Chanel Fragrances closed our account at Mickey's Pharmacy, citing one of the reasons being that the category of surrounding businesses didn't meet their brand criteria. It was a major account for us for years and a significant blow to our offering. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, and then apparently the paper reported how there are fears uh, similar luxury brands could also abandon the city centre street over similar fears. So, Union Street is such a shithole now (laughs) that Chanel will no longer allow their perfume to be sold. I mean, I've never heard of that like they're saying you can't sell our brand because it's not befitting of the the surrounding areas i mean i'm trying to think up like where charles mickey's is i mean what there's probably a greg's and a a charity shop next (laughs) to us um you know it's a sad state of affairs union street now but it's incredible that brands are you know now saying you can't sell our product because the place is such a shithole. Now, the, when you started telling the story there, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. When you said it's a view shared by Chanel, I thought you meant like some woman called Chanel and we're going to uh, be oh, ranting. Um, and secondly, I don't think there are any luxury brands on Union Street anymore because House of Fraser is, isn't, it's not House of Fraser anymore. It's like, or uh, was it Debenhams? It wasn't, no, it was Fraser's, wasn't it? Down near, um, down near the, opposite the court and the corner of Market Street and Union Street. You want, I mean, if you want it basically sum up Union Street, then yes. House of Fraser's, which used to mm. be, you know, a landmark shop on Union Street, is now a sports direct. Right, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, well, I mean, they, when I, I walked up a chunk of Union Street the other week because um, we were going for dinner in an Italian restaurant, which was actually very nice, up near the top of Union Street. Um, near, I think it used to be the Bud Bar, but now it's quite a nice Italian restaurant. Okay, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of vapories because that's a that's uh-huh. a that's a word for um vape shops. Um yeah, usual charity <laughs> usual charity shops. Uh, HMV is 
uh, continues to hang in there. Um, uh, incredible. How? I know. I mean, it, it's amazing mm. that that is still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And they were busy as well because uh, my daughter wanted to go and spend some of her money in there on posters and stuff for her bedroom. Yeah, I mean, I think the closest is probably going to be the shop that our mutual friend likes in the academy. But I wouldn't say that they're, although they, they do sell brands that you and I and he like, they, I wouldn't call them luxury brands I mean, a luxury brand would be like yeah. Gucci or Versace or whatever I don't think there's, any, there's yeah. anywhere selling that sort of gear on Union Street anymore no no yeah. I don't think so I mean has there ever been I don't know it's a, it's a good shout I don't know if you could get that kind of there stuff used, previously there used, there used to be a shop but... near the top of Union Street like a kind of boutique shop and I can't remember what it's called but they used to sell Versace and Gucci and stuff right right, right mm. near the top, um, maybe even near the college or maybe even past the college. It might actually have been Queen's Road. It might not be an issue. Oh, you, um, Kafka. Kafka. Yeah, well remembered. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. They, they used yeah. to sell that stuff, didn't they? Yeah, I was never really in there. I could never afford to buy anything. No, me, ne- <laughs> me, me neither. I've, I've, I'm sure I probably stumbled past it a few times after a night in the International Casino on my way home. <laughs> but yeah, it's a sad state of affairs now that, uh, so yeah, brands are saying you're not allowed. I mean, it is a shame um, of what's happened mm. to to Aberdeen City Centre, but, you know, is there any solution? Um, is there anything they can do about it? Well, that leads brilliantly <laughs> to my next story. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, which, so we're, 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 sta- we're staying in Aberdeen for my story, um, and this uh, columnist for the Press and Journal might have the solution to Union Street's problems, Nicky. Um, oh. Yeah. So this is David Knight. Uh, he is a long-standing columnist and editor for the Press and Journal, uh, Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire's local paper. Um, and his contention uh, is that cable cars in and out of Union Terrace Gardens and for anybody who's not familiar with the geography of Aberdeen City Centre Union Terrace Gardens is just off Union Street right in the centre but he says that cable cars in and out of Union Terrace Gardens would be a showstopper Nicky uh, the t- a showstopper <laughs> the timing might not be quite right for Aberdeen but it <laughs> but exciting new innovations like a cable car can do wonders for a city's reputation. So he starts off he starts off his story with everything seemed to be going so well on our cable car ride to the top of the Rock of Gibraltar. We had been privileged to stumble across an extraordinary piece of history there. The graves of two young Royal Navy officers struck down together by a single cannonball in the Battle of Trafalgar. Now we were high and away in the table in the cable car which, with some heaving and creaking, completed a seemingly near-vertical ascent. The views of Gibraltar below and the sea glistening in the sun were amazing. We came to a stop, the doors opened, and a Barbary ape stood staring back at us. The ape colony which lives there is quite a tourist attraction, but a bit boisterous at times. In a flash, the ape leapt inside the cable car and made a grab for my wife's Marks and Spencer's bag. <laughs> As she was the first in the queue, he was aiming to mug an easy target with maybe the hope of an egg mayonnaise sandwich as his prize. But there was only a pair of new beach shorts inside. Uh, The mad ape got more than he bargained for. A ferocious tug of war broke out with my wife. She wasn't going to put up with the antics of a wild monkey. She'd done that for long enough with me. (laughs) David, what you like? Uh, The ape... (laughs) 
The ape knew he'd met his match and gave up, so he turned his attention to the rest of the passengers. We fled with screams and shrieks of horror bouncing off the roof and reverberating round our ears. Luckily no one was hurt, apart from the ape's pride, after being left empty-handed, and needless to say, alone in the cable car cabin. Cable is now in the table for Aberdeen. Or maybe not. Everything <laughs> like, so fucking goes from... Like, a, like I, I suspect a well-told holiday anecdote to uh, is what his, his column is actually about. So Cable is now on the table in Aberdeen. Or maybe not, as the city council doesn't want to put any taxpayer cash into cable car proposals by private entrepreneurs. If it ever gets off the ground in Aberdeen, I doubt if passengers would be bothered by monkeys, but you never know who's going to sit next to you in public transport these days, do you? <laughs> Fucking hell. Thinking of the world's top cable car rides made me recall the monkey saga and fantasise about being a competitor in television reality travel adventure race across the world. They, they have been battling out in Canada in the latest BBC series, but what caught my eye in the show were the early stages round Vancouver Jasper, Banff and Calgary. I enjoyed a hectic road and mail trip around these very places a few years ago. Running cable cars into Aberdeen city centre from a new look beach development also has a mountain to climb. Apart from the initial investment, it would cost up to £1 million a year, but it would still be quite a sight and maybe a visual boost the city needs, even though the world's best cable car rides usually have spectacular mountains as their backdrop. The timing of going cap in hand to a hard-up Aberdeen city centre could be better, as it's busy cutting jobs and closing everything down. Imagine the uproar if, after destroying libraries, swimming pools and sports centres, the council poured millions into bankrolling cable cars. But exciting you innovations can do wonders for a city's reputation, so apparently they're casting around for landing spots suitable to turn into cable stations. I can think of a perfect spot, Union Terrace Gardens, newly refurbished at a cost of £30 million, but lacking a wow factor that would be the icing on the cake for visitors. Cable cars in and out of Union Terrace Gardens would be a showstopper, similar to the famous monorail I enjoyed going straight through the lobby of Contemporary Resort Hotel at Disney World in Florida. So he's basically just picked this to brag about all the holidays that he's been. That's like the third holiday that he's had. Yeah, that he's, sounds like it. But here's here's where he shows his uh, political leanings. Maybe Aberdeen City Centre, uh, sorry, maybe Aberdeen City Council didn't want to burn its fingers on public transport after the monumental mess the SNP government made of West Coast ferries. After all, if the SNP isn't capable of delivering a ferry service or even running itself, how can it be trusted with an independent Scotland? So he gets his, he gets a boot into the beleaguered SNP there at the end. But I'm not, it does feel like it'd be a bit of a waste of time putting cable, because you could walk from your Terrace Gardens to the beach in about 25 minutes if you were, you know, if, if you're going at a fair pace. With a cable car. I mean, when I think how much kind of criticism the tram system in Edinburgh came in for the, when that was mooted, the, the tram, and the trampedo, are you talking about there? The trampedo, <laughs> of course. I forgot about the trampedo. Um, 
when I think how much you know abuse that got, fucking cable car Snapperdeen, <laughs> like what what next? Like let's install hovercrafts in Perth yeah. or something. Like it's it's insane. A cable car in Aberdeen. I mean, where? I mean, Union Terrace Gardens. I mean, I haven't been to it since it's been mm-hmm. done up, and I, I think there was a lot of money spent yeah. doing it up. Um, from what I've read online on the Aberdeen forum, I mean, they've basically just made that area nice for the junkies. <laughs> Um, because that's, that's all I've heard. They've, it's it's still exactly the same people that frequent right. it, junkies and pedos. And but yeah, they've just made the area look nice for the junkies, giving them a nice area to shoot up a cable car. That is preposterous. Yeah, as you say, you can walk from the beach to Union Terrace Gardens. Yeah, probably twenty five yeah. minutes um, at the most. I mean, if you're if you're walking a brisk pace, I'm not sure. I could you imagine that though. You're just kind of walking down. Union Street, you just, you know, you're upset, you haven't been able to get any Chanel perfume, <laughs> Kafka's closed now, you've you've been in the Salvation Army, you've gone to Greg's to get a Sostro, you've gone to Ladbrokes to put on a line, yeah. um, and then just this cable car just comes shooting over your head. I mean, if, when you think about the fucking, the arse that they make in Aberdeen when they put up the Christmas lights, <laughs> for example, like, could you imagine putting a fucking cable car? I mean, what, is it going to be part of Cadona's or something? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe Cadona's are the, are the entrepreneurs that are wanting to invest in it with uh, public money. Yeah. But because you'd have to have, because, yeah. I mean, you'd have to have it pretty high up. Right, so yeah. and so the high, so it's uphill from the beach to the city centre. So you would have to have yeah. the sort of tallest sort of support apparatus right in the city centre, like in, in Union Terrace Gardens. Yeah. One would assume yeah. you're not going to like stick it in the middle of Union Street. Um, yeah, it's just it's fucking. I just thought I'd heard it all. The Union, to, yeah. yeah, that is absolutely ridiculous. What a um, what a preposterous <laughs> kind of idea. I'd love to see it though. You know, it just kind of reminds me of that um, Simpsons episode with the monorail. Yeah, that does. You know, he's just coming <laughs> yeah. into cable cars, cable cars, cable cars, <laughs> cable cars. <laughs> yeah, oh, honestly, ridiculous. Oh yeah. well. Um, yeah, I'd love to see it, but um, I don't think I'll be seeing that anytime yeah. soon. I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be in our. It'll, it'll be in our lifetime, mate. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, uh, I'd say the only cable that's getting laid in the Terrace Gardens is for my junkie. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, oh, well, so that's poor Aberdeen had a, been, been well and truly roasted. And that was two stories. Yeah. Why don't you... That's terrible. Why don't you cheer us up with your with your next story? Yeah, let's move away from Aberdeen. Um, let's go on to some of Scotland's most beloved sons, Greg. If I was to say the most famous twins that you can think of, apart from the ones from Funhouse, <laughs> um, who who would you say is, of course, the Scotland's most famous twins? Oh, it has to be the Proclaimers. Of course it is. Scott's twins, Craig and Charlie. So this is from the Scottish Sun today, and the headline is... Orf with their hit. Uh, the Proclaimer song, 500 Miles, has been pulled from the Coronation playlist because of their anti-royalist views. Now, this is quite good, actually, because this episode is going to go out on the 4th of May, Greg, and the King's Coronation is on the 6th of May. I only just discovered that because I think I same share the views of Craig and Charlie that I could not <laughs> give a shite about that. Um, 
So, uh, the Proclaimers have been pulled from an official King's Coronation playlist because of their anti-royal views. Their hit, I'm Gonna Be, Mm. 500 Miles, um, was uh, part of the UK government's compilation, which is set for the May the 6th party. Um, An MP pal of the Proclaimers last night said that the famous twins wouldn't cross the road for the King's (laughs) Coronation Never mind walk 500 miles. Um, So this blast came after it emerged that the UK government had deleted the Geo's anthem from this official playlist. Um, Embarrassed officials at the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport axed the song after they were alerted to its performers' strong (laughs) anti-royalist beliefs. Edinburgh-born Craig and Charlie, 61, have repeatedly declared that they are Republicans who don't believe in having an unelected head of state. So, uh... This uh, journalist has accused the DCMS, which again stands for the Digital Culture Media and Sports Society place, of arrogance for including the hit on the compilation in the first place. The Alba MP said, I think it's just an assumption that everybody has signed up for the royals in this jamboree. It's a, it's <laughs> jamboree. It's a, fucking, it's a coronation. It's a jamboree. <laughs> it's just arrogance from the establishment. <laughs> I'm sure they'll find many in Scotland share Charlie and Craig's Republican sympathies. I'd imagine the proclaimers like many in this country, wouldn't cross the road, never mock one, uh, never mind walk 500 miles for this junket that will cost a fortune at a time when many folk are living in misery. Um, it is understood that the palace wasn't involved in compiling the playlist, so just need to, to make that clear. Charlie didn't um, accidentally delete it with his big sausage fingers. Uh, last year, Charlie Reed spoke out to back a man who protested in Oxford against the new king being proclaimed. He said, oh, proclaimed they haven't picked up on that i wonder if they did that on purpose um he said i i think one guy was lifted for shouting who elected him and i thought that guy spoke for me and he speaks for loads of other people in scotland and right around the uk charlie added that the idea that they agree to have an unelected head of state in 2022 is unbelievable so uh the song did appear on the coronation celebration playlist uh, alongside classics from the who tom jones the Kinks plus Starlight by Scott singer Emily Sandy. Mm. Uh, so yeah, a spokesman said it was created to celebrate British and Commonwealth artists ahead of the coronation. The proclaimers have been approached for comment. So yeah, so proclaimers axed from the list because they are anti-royal. So Craig and Charlie are going to be at least 500 miles away from London uh, in early May in the day of the yeah. coronation. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you know, fair enough. Um, but it's not a holiday here, obviously, and it won't be a holiday where you are either. My no. kids are invited to wear Union Jack colours uh, to school in, instead of their school uniform on the day of the coronation. That's as that's as much as that's as much of a nod towards it as uh, as it will be getting here. I certainly won't be sitting watching it. I don't think. Well, I mean, we have a, a holiday here on Thursday um, because it's King's Day, oh. as in the Dutch King. So every year there is a, a big celebration yeah. and um, it's it's a public holiday. So, I mean, I don't really take part in that. I mean, it is everyone basically wears orange and just has street parties and gets yeah. pissed. You know, that's kind of the, like what happened, the thing. Like but, we mean just win the league. That's, that's, yeah, basically. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so that will be happening on Thursday. But yeah, I mean, it, it's... Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't take any part in this uh, in this coronation or this jamboree, <laughs> yeah. as the <laughs> <laughs> guy calls it. 
<laughs> instantly reminded of Harry Hill there yeah. for some reason. Oh, it's the, the Badger Parade. Um, it's like the, so I don't know. <laughs> the Jamber V. Fucking brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, surprising, I, I guess it is a, a big iconic hit though. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I'm going to be 500 miles. So you would think it would be a, a kind of instant classic that would be on uh, a playlist to celebrate, you know, British artists. But unfortunately, not anymore. Mate, I've seen the Proclaimers live. They played a, a charity thing that was like years and years ago. Um, the charity thing was part organised by Real Radio, um, RIP, and now Heart Radio. Um, but they, um, they they had the Proclaimers. And I would, I would tell anybody who has never seen the Proclaimers who would like to go and see Charlie and Craig, maybe don't stand too close to the front of the stage because <laughs> Charlie spits a lot when he's singing. There's like a fairly steady stream of uh, saliva dropules flying from his mouth when he's belting out their hits. So you just stand back a wee bit. Much like a falcon shite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie means spit can travel at a distance of at least 20 metres <laughs> at a high velocity. <laughs> Much like a falcon shite. So, um, yeah, I wonder, I mean, it says a lot that I guess they've just put together a playlist for this because, I mean, I, I would have thought the coronation, you know, we had the the Queen's Jubilee and mm. stuff, a Jubilee, not a Jamboree, whereas this is the King's Jamboree. And, but they're just basically putting together a Spotify playlist for this. Because <laughs> yeah, basically nobody wants to be involved. It's <laughs> yeah, <so> austerity. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's not, um, I don't think it's that fashionable to sort of, like, I did see Ronnie Woods, well, I didn't see it because I don't, well, I don't get the one show here, but I did see somebody complaining on social media about Ronnie Woods uh, from the Rolling Stones was being interviewed the other day. He's also quite a good artist, quite a celebrated artist, Ronnie Woods, uh, in, mm. addition. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in addition yeah. to being a, a, a great guitarist. And uh, he was showing off paintings that he had done of uh, Prince Prince William and family and stuff. I just thought, fucking, it's supposed to be a rolling stone. It's supposed to be, anti, it's supposed to be fucking anti-establishment, <laughs> not fucking painting pictures of them. Do you know what I mean? Come on, Ronnie. <laughs> oh, dear, never mind. I, I was reminded of one of my favourite royal stories the, um, the other day, actually, which was... Um, it was Tam Cowan on Off the Ball. Right. I mean, this is obviously going back years yeah. ago. And it was when it was the Queen Mum's 99th birthday. So that's how far back we're going. And she was pictured having uh, a 99 <laughs> ice cream on her 99th birthday. You know, so yeah. like I missed her whippy with a oh, flake yeah, in it yeah. and stuff. And uh, Tam Cowan says, Christ, I wonder what she did 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> oh, never mind. Anyway, so that's the Proclaimers banned from Prince Charles. It's Jamboree. I'm going to use that word so often. <laughs> jamboree. How many times can I fit it in before the end of the episode? Um, have you seen anything else this week, Greg? That's caught you. Yeah, well, I've got. A, I've got another. I've got a bit of a. You know, we obviously in the last episode we had a bit of a Ken Buchanan obituary. I've got another obituary. Another obituary <laughs> this week, but I think it's quite an interesting one. But before that, I've got a bit of a Nicholas Rossi update. Remember a few episodes. <laughs> remember a, a, a few episodes ago, we were having a laugh at, um, as as he battles being extradited back to the US to face, a, I guess, a trial uh, where he's accused of sexual mm. assault and things. He mm. is currently at His Majesty's pleasure in a notorious sort in prison. And we, we we had a good laugh because we heard, we've read that all the his fellow prisoners were singing the John Denver classic, Leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> 
Well, just to make sure that he's never far away from the media, he has converted um, from Catholicism to Judaism. He's decided that oh. he has found comfort in the Jewish faith, and uh, but he's com- continued to complain about being bullied when the prison ca- <laughs> the prison canteen keeps sending him ham sandwiches for his lunch. <laughs> That's, that's that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. So I hope he um, I hope he stays in Salton for a long time because it sounds like he's uh, it sounds, you know like the torment of potential rapists is always good fun and it sounds as though the prisoners at Salton have a have a good knack for it. So. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So my next my next story. So I I'd never heard of this guy. He passed away on the eighth of April um, a couple of weeks ago. Him and I share a birthday. Uh, funnily enough. His name is Bob oh. Heatley and he was a Scottish songwriter and record producer and probably his mm. most famous song and the one that would definitely have kept his bank balance topped up over the years was the Shaken Stevens classic Merry Christmas Everyone. Oh wow. But he also wrote uh, Japanese Boy you know Japanese Boy the song mm-hmm. um, yep. by mm-hmm. uh, Anika he mm-hmm. he wrote the theme tune for uh, a fondly remembered uh, stop motion sort of cartoon that I really enjoyed as a kid called Trapdoor. Oh, yeah. And he also wrote the theme tune for the aforementioned Pat Sharp's Funhouse <laughs> as well. Oh wow, yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. Um, so yeah, but he's you know he's uh, he's been he's been working for years. Uh, it, it, most of his work with uh, Shaken Stevens was probably the first musical act that I was really into uh, as a little boy. I liked Shaky, but yeah, he unfortunately well Shelvis. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, he passed away at the good age of uh, seventy six on the eighth of April. Um, so Bob Heatley, um, yeah, rest in peace. Ah, oh, uh, rest in peace, Bob. Oh, lovely. Oh, wow, I can't believe you did the theme tune of Fun That's pure coincidence that I mentioned that <laughs> I earlier. Know, I know. Do you have any more, any more stories for us this week? You know what? I've got one little thing that I'll do with you. And this is something that, that often crops up when I'm looking for new stories. Mm. And... It's something that I always like. I mean, that's what we when we set out to do this podcast. We kind of set out to do the news stories of like, why is this in the newspaper? <laughs> why is this news? Yeah. And almost every week there is a story of some celebrity that's been somewhere and had their photo taken. Now, what I mean by that is, I remember months ago there was a there was a whole article about Gerard Butler being at this barber's mm. in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And getting his photo taken. And it just so happened Darius Dinesh was there as well, R.I.P. Darius. Yeah. And I think there was one, you know, recently, like Lewis Capaldi was at some fish and chip shop or something and got his photo taken. So I just thought this was a fun little game that I okay. could maybe play with you. And we could kind of play a little little guess or no, like a guess who, but we'll call it like I or no. Right. And you guess the who the celebrity is, but I'll give you I'll give you nine questions because Tenant Super, purple ten, is 9% proof. So we'll call it, guess the Celebra Super T or something like that. I I think you nailed it. (laughs) I think I've nailed it. Okay, I mean, if it's a shite, I'll delete it. So this was, um, (laughs) there there was a, a, a celebrity photographed at a Glasgow restaurant. Now, this is maybe a bad example to start with. There's actually two celebrities in this photo okay. but i'm only looking for one okay. of them now i i could i could tell you who the other one is but it's because it's not going to give anything away yeah? well okay. so or or do you want to do you want to try and guess both i thought yeah let's let's it's our debut episode okay so um, okay. guess the super celebrity yeah. um, you can you can 
you can go, go with both, right? So you've got nine questions. I'll give you nine questions each okay. for each okay. one. Um, so I can tell you that these people were spotted. They dined at Buck's Bar in Glasgow on Friday evening. Okay. Okay, so let's go. You've got nine nine questions. Okay, so is celebrity number one is... Is it a male celebrity? Celebrity, I should say. Okay. Is he a television presenter? No. Is he an actor? Aye. Ah. Is he a Scottish actor? Aye. Right. How many questions? Is that four? That's four. Okay. Is he a young Scottish actor? No. Mm, Okay. Is he a household name? Aye. (laughs) Is it... Oh, is it Cosmo? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's indeed, it's James Cosmo. Um, I mean, you will, uh, I'll be honest, you're never going to fucking guess who he was out with. Right, okay. so, um, I mean, you can try if you like. I mean, it took you six questions okay. to get Cosmo. Right. I'm not I'm not including was it Cosmo as a question. So it took you six to oh, get Cosmo. Okay. So James James Cosmo was out for dinner with someone else, another celebrity. Right. Um, so, okay. see if you can get the Purple Tin Award. All right. So, uh, I suppose my last one was only 6%, which is what? Maybe like a Stella? Like 1980s Stella? Yeah, yeah, 1980s Stella, yeah. Because they've weakened Stella yeah, now, I think. It's like four and a half. Um, okay. Right. Uh, okay. So, is celebrity number two a man? Aye. Right. Is... So I'm going to go with the law of averages here because Cosmo's an actor. I'm going to ask, is he an actor? Aye. Hmm. Is he a Scottish actor? Aye. Oh, right. Um, is he older than Cosmo? No. Is he a young Scottish actor? Middle-aged. <laughs> 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 he's uh, he's f- 54. Right, okay. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, fucking hell. Who could it be? Who could it be? Um, is he a household name? He was. Um, right. a, a few like I would say back in the day he was um, not his name but his character mm. that he played was very household name mm. I'm really not sticking with it I or not <laughs> Sorry, but, um, yeah. so <laughs> it must be somebody who has been on something like like a soap you know or something like that uh, what's his name what's the guy's name what's the guy's name who uh, is it is it, is it John Meeke? No. It's not John Meeke. Because he was obviously, he was in Coronation Street, wasn't he? He did a bit of a bastard Coronation Street. I'll take the, um, I'll take the character name as well, if you, if you can't. Um. Okay. So, a Scottish actor who is a household name. Oh. Is it, um, oh, what's the guy called off his tenders? <laughs> Oh, I can't remember the character's name. I just remember he used to beat up that Mo. Is that is it him? <laughs> yeah, I'll make you <laughs> that. Yeah. It's, it's Al- Alex Ferns, Alex who Ferns, played Trevor yeah. from EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> who is has recently been in the, the fucking the Batman um oh, film. Oh yeah. So um, and he was he was in uh, Chernobyl as well in HBO. Wasn't yes, he? Yeah. he was, yeah, he was. I can't believe you got that. Yeah, Trevor from EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say. So say Alex Ferns, um, the actor, but probably most famously known as um, Trevor, who got battered with an iron from yeah. Little Mo, and then <laughs> blew himself and uh, somebody else up, like some yeah. Sharon. Oh yeah, Sharon's yeah. boyfriend. Well, one of Sharon's boyfriends so from over the years. I can't remember who it was, but yeah. Oh yeah, hell, that was good fun. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> let's see how that comes out in the edit, and uh, if we'll keep it okay. in. But uh, yeah, Cosmo and Alex Ferns dining in Glasgow. Wonderful. Right. Well, uh, I guess that 
kind of wraps up the news uh, and wraps up the I don't know. guess the celebrate super <laughs> <laughs> um, game the purple tin game I think we'll just call it for short uh, right well before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today let's have a little word from our sponsors Tyree Hawaii of the north surfers paradise every year these guys turn up to this beautiful unspoilt wilderness to get battered to a pulp by tons of freezing cold salt water I like being caressed by swirling liquid too, but indoors. Tenants Velvet Ale, smooth, creamy, and it slips down your throat like a penguin in a velvet wetsuit. Don't you think you've had enough to drink? Okay, Nikki, so it was your choice for this episode of the Culture Swally. So why don't you tell us or describe, introduce what we're going to be talking about today? Thank you very much, Greg. Yes, so on today's episode of the Culture Swally, I would like to discuss The Advocates, which was a Scottish legal drama broadcast on ITV that ran for two series between April 1991 and March 1992. We are just going to be discussing the first series, which was three episodes long, um, and is available on YouTube if anyone wants to watch that before we spoil the hell out of it. So the series starred Ewan Stewart and Isla Blair as the main protagonists, Greg McDowell and Catherine Dunbar. Uh, Season one tells the tale of when a young prostitute is murdered by a deadly drug overdose. Only Dr. Joe Sangster, who has been treating her, at the local health clinic, suspects foul play. In the growing climate of fear over drugs and AIDS in the city, his clinic faces closure due to a local campaign. Sangster turns to Greg McDowell for help, and a young lawyer sees a chance to make a name for himself. So, this was broadcast in April 1991, to say, Greg. Um, so, I would have only been like 10 years old. <laughs> so, I do not remember watching this at the time, because it was probably a bit out of kind of the kind of thing as I would have been watching uh, around about that time. But um, what about yourself? Did you have, had you seen this before or, or have any memory of it? At all? Um, I hadn't watched it. I do remember, I do remember it being on. I can't remember if it was this first series or the second series, but I do remember, I think my, my mother or my, granny or someone like that might have watched it uh when i was around but yeah i would have, i was only about 13 when this when this was on so i didn't watch it at the time um i have to say i wasn't as much as, much as i like you and stuart like before i watched the program i was a wee bit concerned so i've never really thought of you and stuart as a kind of leading man you know but uh i really enjoyed it <laughs> and i particularly enjoyed him oh okay yeah <laughs> uh and i particularly wonder where that was yeah. going I particularly enjoyed him as well. Um, you know, it, it helps that his name is Greg, same as me, you know, which is a, a mm. great name for a hero, obviously. But no, it was good. It was really... Had you watched it before you watched it for the Swally, no? No, I hadn't. So it was the first time I'd watched it um, in preparation for the episodes. Um, and yeah, I, I'm the same. I enjoyed it. It's kind of got a gritty feel. You know, it, it helps that it's three parts. I, I mean, we'll come on to talk about it later. I mean, I, I did think that there's quite a lot of story mm. in those three yeah. parts you know there's a lot going on and there's a lot of mixture of, of kind of storylines almost too much in a way but i thought it was quite it was well done very you know that early 90s feel i mean what is it was it just because it's edinburgh in the 90s so everything's got to be about AIDS yeah, and heroin yeah, you know yeah. it, it does seem that it does way bit, yeah. it's, it's, it's a shame that that's kind of the what you you take away from um, something uh, like this but it, it was really good and I, and I thought it was very um 
quite cleverly done. It kind of reminded me like a, well, it was almost like an Ian Rankin kind of, you know, rabus kind of novel thing. And I guess not try to be like Taggart, but setting it in a law firm, I guess, is a, a bit different from him being a, a police officer or a journalist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which would be the kind of usual investigative type roles you would have. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was good. And, and Ewan Stewart was, was great was, uh... in it. Um, I say the character of, of Greg, who he plays, he's a, a Cambridge educated lawyer um he's obviously he he went down to london to study he's obviously really smart and very intelligent but he just effectively didn't want to toe the line down in london i think he does say at one point you know he didn't want to to pay his way in so he's come he's come back up to edinburgh and and started out you know in this law firm kind of as a a trainee effectively and he's you know trying to make a name for himself yeah you know sort of tenacious kind of rule breaker Sort of, sort of bad, the kind of sort of bad boy of Scottish law. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I know he's good. And I found the sort of the, the, the is. I thought the story was was really good. You know, and I, I didn't, I didn't get the the sort of reveal. I didn't see it coming in mm. the last episode. You know, and, yeah. and I, I, I probably should have done because the sort of structure and setup was is fairly standard. But um, the thing that kind of threw me a wee bit was the sort of the kind of choir music at the beginning mm. of you mm-hmm. know, after the adverts and all that kind of thing. It was it just seemed a bit out of place, you know, because the rest of the soundtrack it's you know it's very much in the sort of Taggart vein you know there's a bit of kind of funky bass stuff going on at one point and yeah synthesizer stuff it's very sort of 1980s early 90s sort of police procedural kind of music but then this kind of weird kind of eerie choir music at the beginning of each episode and and even after the adverts you know when it comes back on after the commercial break there's that weird choir it's weird right (laughs) yeah I I did have that in my notes Mm. in terms of I I think it's towards the the end of the the last episode and when Lennox is is kind of attacking Andrea and I was like fucking hell this 80s synth music is phenomenal like it's just sort of you know really you know kind of dirty but um, yeah, I did say like you have kind of the same music playing throughout episodes as well. And as you say, the the choir thing, you're like, fuck, if I'm watching an episode of Cadfield. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, instead, it's like it's um, yeah, it's a bit kind of takes you out of it a little mm-hmm. bit. But um, but yeah, I thought you know overall the you know that was kind of one of the the few downsides to the to the show. I thought it was um, it was pretty good overall. Yeah, it's really good. You know, and a lot of uh, a lot of people really sort of going for it, like Isla Blair um, and uh, Stella. Is it Stella Gonet? Am I saying it right? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say uh, so. Yeah, I think Gonet is the the correct pronunciation. Yeah, I mean, she's she's great as mm. well. I mean, I, of course, I probably knew her. I mean, my mum loved um, The House of Elliot, which I think is probably... Uh, also, I think she was in Holby City for quite a while. And um, the Crow Road. Yeah, I mean... The Crow Road as well. Great. And of course, yeah. Yeah, Fiona. yeah, of course, The Crow Road. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She gets uh, she gets to share a bed with Alex Norton. That's <laughs> was every every actress's dream. <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. You know, and she's got that sort of uh, that sort of nineteen eighties kind of power woman sexiness about. Mm. I know, I know, obviously, it came out in nineteen ninety one, but you know, the eighties weren't. Just, you know, they, they, it, it feels about eighties still, even though it's the early nineties. Yeah. Um, and she's great. You know, she's got the big earrings. She's got the the, the sort of perm, the shoulder pads. You know what I mean? Like the guy that. She She's seeing it's just a fucking just like 
a real mismatch. They're the guy that she's in a bit of a relationship with at the beginning. Mm. And it's not clear what the situation is. Is she just uh, is she with him because you know she's just been sort of invested as an advocate at the very beginning, mm. and you know he's important to her career, or does she actually like him? And then she sort of just she kind of fucks him off. Didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> the second episode, she's just like, yeah, it's fucking not for me this. And uh, so it's just, she seems to sort of set her sights a little bit on uh, on uh, on Greg, like a bit, like all the yeah, ladies do eventually. I mean, you know? they they obviously kind of knew each other. Mm. Um, they have a, a, I guess, a bit of a background, but it, it it never really is explained. And and it's the same with you know Greg's backstory as a whole kind of never really goes into. Mm. You, you see him in his apartment, and there is a photo of him with a woman. Yeah. And says, so who, who's she? You know, why aren't you with her? And and he says, oh, I think her husband might be a bit upset about yeah, that. Yeah. So you're like, right, why is he still got... That's a bit weird, isn't it? To still have a photo uh, lying around of, of someone you've, yeah. you're no longer with. Well, for sure. But it, it also feels as though... I mean, I guess we'll do the, the second and last series um, in, a, in a future episode. Mm. But it sort of feels like in this one, there's a lot of uh, laying the groundwork for characters, you know, so they don't give too much away about uh, Greg's background and, you know, enough, suffice to say enough that he's been to London and he's he's Cambridge educated. Uh, he's working for her auntie, right? Ida Blair, who mm. she's yeah. running the practice and is her and is Stella Gunny's auntie in the in the show. So maybe that's because he because he's at her investment. Like the the first scene, she's she's mm. being invested as an advocate by um the Nazi general from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's there and he's sort of you know, like his body language, he's sitting right behind her and she while well, she's standing up, um, sort of taking her oath and he's he's sort mm. of looking down with his sort of holding his head up by his forehead and his hand and stuff while the auntie is looking on proudly, so it does suggest a bit of a a bit of a relationship of some kind in the past. But I think maybe yeah. you know, I think maybe they felt like this would be something that would go on for a few years. You know, like it, it wouldn't mm. just be sort of two, two, three episode series and done. Like maybe it would be like a sort of it would it would sort of maintain like sort of Taggart or something like that, and they could mm. flesh out more of the characters and and kind of build on their backstory and everything else. They pack a lot in to the three episodes. Yeah. You have you know the drugs, prostitutes, dodgy politicians. Um, Viv and her husband there's always little quips there you know a little bit of light comic relief in terms of she's always um, joking about her her marriage Um, you know the the law firm is in financial trouble because you've had two partners just retired Um, you kind of got a little story of, of Catherine and, and Campbell they've got the little kind of budding romance you know yeah. to, to people in their kind of twilight years that have kind of found each other and yeah. it's it's you know it's it's very heavily applied it's, it's friendship but yeah. there could be a little bit more to it um and of course you have the the whole dodgy um dealing with you know Milligan and um and Bill Webster from Coronation <laughs> yes, Street you know sick. Kevin's dad um <laughs> which I throughout my notes I kept writing Veach but I just kept writing Bill Webster because that's <laughs> you'll, you'll always be you know, yeah. much like much like Trevor from EastEnders, <laughs> yeah. you know, Bill Webster is he's always going to be Bill Webster. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on in in this, but um, but it kind of works. Like it does everything kind of ties together. And we'll you know we'll come on to her um, later. But one of Shirley Henderson's first roles, mm-hmm. and you know she's pivotal into the storyline. And I think it they do well in terms of there's so much going on, but they do kind of 
tie it all up and it, it everything kind of makes sense but it, at some points it was a little bit difficult to follow yeah i i felt there was there was a lot going on yeah they, the the stuff with um the stuff with acroid the guy mm. who's you know he's hiv positive well i, I think he's actually he's I think he's meant to have contracted AIDS uh, when we meet him, yeah. and he's the doctor. Sangster is keeping is sort of protecting him and keeping him away from the from uh, Kevin's dad and um, and kind of ponytail. Kevin's dad, <laughs> yeah, Mulligan ponytail falconry uh, criminal, and um, so they, that the whole thing there. I just I wasn't quite sure because like when we first see him, mm. I thought he'd had a kicking, and that's why he was he looked the way he did. I thought he'd been beaten up because the doctor's like you. you you know, don't just you don't have to say anything. Just nod. And I thought, well, he's obviously just landed in the hospital and he's still in pain. And it's not until we mm. see him later on when he's in what I take to be a hospice or something like that, reading the paper. And when you, you see him walking around and stuff, and it's it's mm. evident then that he and obviously we find out later on after he gets killed that he they, that he was he was ill, and that's why he looked the way he did. Mm. So yeah, that you, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of these sort of disparate little threads um, that don't really get kind of pulled in until really the last episode like um, mm. Shirley Henderson's character you know we, we don't see much of her in the first episode really and we see a little bit more in the second and then the third episode she's obviously pivotal to the whole sort of wrap up of the story yeah so but I mean you know I still kind of liked it because it sort of it does remind me of sort of these old classic uh, British sort of dramas where you know I think there wasn't a there wasn't necessarily a need to try and grab the the viewer's attention straight away because there's only another like three channels what you're what you gonna do you'll flip it over to to the fucking snooker or BBC two or something like that you know so people I think people's patience and uh, their willingness to allow themselves to be led and the story to be built up and built up and built up was probably more so than now I think if you're doing the advocates now the whole murder of the girl at the beginning would have been a lot more or sort of bombastic I think you know or shocking mm. and you know you would they, would they would have had to do something explosive to make sure that they kept as much of their audience as possible but I think back then I think people just viewed things differently you know yeah you're right because I mean watching this as you said when we, we first meet Paul Aykroyd and, and Dr. Joe Sangster is with him and in my notes I'd written oh Christ is the doctor dodgy mm. like I thought he was doing some sort of strange experiments on this guy and yeah yeah effectively maybe he was maybe he was giving him um kind of a, a you know test medication for aids but i actually would die is the doctor dodgy mm. like is there something going on here and and of course you I, I wasn't trusting him yeah for the next you know bit and especially when like it's at the end of episode one when they're in Carlton hill and he runs away and stuff yeah. you're like oh he's he's up to something but of course it turns out he's it's not yeah. really. It's all, it's all kind of so. Was that was that me misreading it, or was that intentional to try and throw people yeah. off? And you're right that the, the stuff that they wouldn't do that nowadays so much because I do think people's attention span is so short that you're right. They would have him instantly when he's with Paul Aykroyd. There would be a massive sign behind him saying like AIDS ward yeah, yeah. or you know something to 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 really fill it in. But there was a lot that was kind of that's what I miss about stuff like yeah. this. The viewers had to actually piece this together yeah. and it, and it does work so well that that's why i really enjoyed this as well yeah because like even you know like the both the first and the second episodes end on an exciting event like sort of cliffhangery mm. but you know the first episodes when it, it ends like you were just saying on, on uh, calton hill they've successfully managed to get some photographs but uh you and Stuart and stella 
have to they, they kind of run in the opposite direction and they have to pretend that they are lovers you know having a having a knee having <laughs> a knee trembler uh, in the bushes in Carlton Hill and you know they the guy sort of sort of comes across them she's like oh would you mind going away or whatever and it's up whereas like I think now if you would have her telling him to go away would be the beginning of the second episode do you know what I mean mm. the, the be- yeah, yeah you're the, right the, yeah. the end of the first episode would be them sort of in the bushes scared what you know what we're going to do and the guy with the gun getting closer and closer and then mm. it would end so that you'd be like oh fucking hell let's get the next episode on and see what happens whereas you know yeah um, so, and then and then the end yeah you're right actually and and yeah and I'm probably about to say the end of the second episode is you know mm. Paul Aykroyd gets blown up with a kind of letterbox bomb yeah. type thing yeah. <laughs> like, which I thought was unclear I genuinely I'd watched when I watched the second episode I wrote down oh he's been shot I thought someone was in the flat and it uh, poked a shotgun through right, the letterbox right. And it wasn't until you started watching episode three and they explain, oh, it was a, a bomb yeah. that was there. I was like, ah, okay. But they do sort of tease that a little bit because you have the scene a few minutes before when Greg comes back and he yeah. goes to let himself, he goes to let himself his flat, then he thinks better of it and goes back out again. Yeah. Um, and I, th- yeah. I thought... He's like, ah, oh, I, for- I forgot I'd said I'd go around to my mum's. Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah. But, you know, it's got all that way. You'd think he'd be like, oh, fuck I'll, it. I'll just have a quick piss. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a piss before I go. Or, you know, swear. <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was obviously quite a... A, a vehicle for you and Stuart, and and to make him kind of maybe make it happen for mm. him. Um, obviously, didn't really happen. But you know, he, he's always been around. Did did you know that? Well, uh, we discussed in the last episode, obviously, that it came as a shock to us that he's Andy Stewart's son, I know. Um, the lucky white Heather Club, yeah. of course. Did you know that you and Stuart was one of the final candidates considered to play James Bond? before Daniel Craig got the part. I didn't I didn't know that actually. I can't yeah, mm. that was interesting. Yeah, it came as a shock to me as well, but yeah, he he was down to like the final few. Um one 007 blogger uh, at the time apparently said, "You and Stuart was surely an interesting casting choice." The only similarity he seems to hold to a past Bond actors is that at 47 years old, he's only a year or so off the age in which Roger Moore started to take the Bond career. Yeah. The difference, though, is that Roger looked apart and certainly looked younger than he was. Ewan Stewart was severely balding at this point <laughs> of his career. Also, had he been cast, it would have been another year until production wrapped up. At least Sean Connery started his Bond career with hair. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what producers were thinking of. Maybe they wanted to kill Bond off. But yeah, so he was down to... And I think that's a bit weird. Yeah. Um, of course. But, you know, he's had a, a great career i mean obviously famous for titanic and but you know we've covered him in looking after jojo he's been in crime recently down among the big boys mm. he was in stella just tricks with kelly mcdonald which i think we're gonna to have to cover at some yeah. point it was in rob roy is ewan stewart one of the only scottish actors that is not in braveheart yeah i think uh ewan stewart uh billy Connolly, famously didn't get he didn't mm. get a part in braveheart or rob roy <laughs> Which I, I've seen, mm. I seem to recall him uh, making a joke about in his stand-up uh, a, a year or two after it, those films came out. You know, it's like every every Scottish actor that could fucking stand up in these two films, and no <laughs> nobody asked me to be in them. <laughs> you know, but he's had a really good career. He, of course, he was. I, I sent you the other day the the episode of Only Fools and Horses mm. that he said when he plays Dell's doctor. And yeah. as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh fucking hell, I remember this scene." Yeah, yeah of course. You know, he's had a great career. Yeah, for sure. But but um, never, much like we were kind of saying on the last episode about Stephen McCall, like he, he never seems to have made that yeah. next level, but he's 
you know, he's had an outstanding career. Most actors would kill for, for Ewan Stewart's career. And he's always the, as we would say, he's always a, that guy. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's, it's that guy, that guy. But of course, we know him as Ewan Stewart. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at his uh, his IMDb at the moment. Um, you know, he's done a couple of movies uh, that, like Valhalla Rising. I think it was the guy who directed uh, Drive, you know, with. Um, oh, Nicholas Winding yeah. Rethin or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he's in that. And, uh, but if you look at his early TV career, it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's all mm. small parts, like The Professionals in 1981. And he plays a character called Rudiger. Molnar, so obviously somebody who's meant to be German. He's, you know, he's got an episode of Boom, of Boom with Michael Elphick. Uh, Hi-ho, Silver. <laughs> um, the Only Fools and Horses uh, episode that you mentioned there. And famously, when John Hanna was playing Rebus in the year 2000, he's, uh, he was the his co-star in that. But funnily enough, he also, mm. he also appears in a Ken Stott uh, Rebus Playing hmm. a different character, so yeah, I mean, the, he's, uh, he's 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 a, a little bit like uh, like Stephen McCall. He did a short spell in River City as well uh, about fifteen years hmm. ago. Um, but yeah, he's just he's a great he's had a great career and, and acting from a very young age. Like I say, he's great in this, and and I think the the confidence he's very quick witted and kind of cocky. One in particular that I like is the the marmalade speech that he kind of delivers mm. with uh, when he's in the lift with Alex and you know that just shows kind of his oh, playfulness but yeah. also that he's a bit of a sarcastic arsehole <laughs> as well. <Yeah. laughs> I've just won my first case. Ah yes, the case I heard. It was about marmalade. We challenged the EEC regulations successfully. The next round's in Brussels raises some interesting points of law. About marmalade? Who's your solicitor? David Strachan, Scottish Office Legal Department. It's supposed to be a cushy number, the Scottish Office, if you like being embalmed. I wouldn't expect you to recognise the scope of an action like this. Eh? Hey, I recognise the scope. I mean, there's orange marmalade, grapefruit, lemon, tangerine, lime, you name it. You know, but around the office, he's he's doing stuff that they don't do. Mm. He's he's getting all these reports done in he's, double quick time. He's you know, he's hassling the police for information and yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's the thing. There's a lot of good cast in this as well. So you have you know Ewan Stewart, of course, but then like Isla Blair, mm. and it it's strange. Like watch Isla Blair. Like I know you from your Isla Blair. I know exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at her acting history and the stuff she's been in, I'm like I've hardly seen anything she's in. Yeah. Like but. How do I know that it's Isla Blair straight away? And she's so recognisable to me. She's like the, the Scottish Jan Francis, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they look quite similar. Maybe that's where I was mixing them up. But she just seems to be so recognisable. But, you know, as I say, looking at her, her IMDb, I'm kind of like, I've hardly seen anything you've been in. Yeah, I wish she's, she's got an episode of Boone as well. <laughs> she's in, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, silver. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, you know, a lot of the stuff that you would expect an actor of her sort of generation to have appeared in, stuff like Dr. Finlay. She's got a couple of tags playing different um, characters Holby City, mm. uh, Holby City Casualty yeah she's done all sorts of stuff uh, over the years but um, but yeah like when you see her when you see her face it's like instantly recognisable because I think she was just mm. 
in a lot of things when we were when we were young and impressionable. Again, I mean, I think you could say the same about um, Alice and Peebles mm-hmm. that plays Viv. Mm-hmm. Not to, to pigeonhole the, the two of them together, but she's exactly the same. Like, as soon as you see her, I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I know. I know her. I recognise her from loads of stuff. Yeah. But again, I mean, yeah, to be fair, when you look at her IMDb, you're like, ah, okay, yeah, she has been in a lot of stuff as well. But yeah. it's just two instantly kind of recognisable Scottish actresses. And they're both fantastic in this as well. Yeah. You know, they they're both kind of know their, their role. But yeah, they're, they're both great. Yeah, they are brilliant. You know, and the whole... I'm sort of interested to see if the character of Viv um, appears in the next series because you kind of, it kind of felt like that... Yeah. It felt like that wasn't the end of her story. You know, her, she's obviously... She's been like, sharing information with the... It was what they called the London Law Consortium who are... Mo- mm. Moving into new offices nearby, you know, she gets she gets huckled by either Blair uh, at the end for giving them info and fired, right? I mean, I, I haven't watched the second series, but I can tell from obviously looking on IMDb, there's um, there's only five cast members come back for the second series, um, and they are. Ewan Stewart, Isla Blair, um, Hugh Ross, who plays Archie oh, yeah. at the law yeah, firm, yeah. Um, Elspeth McNaughton, who plays Libby, the the older woman mm. at the law firm, and uh, and Alison Peebles. Yeah, as, okay. yeah, the the rest of the cast are uh, so all different. We'll get to know what happens. So she does definitely come back somehow. So yeah, but you do think, yeah, she has shafted them over because she's obviously seen the photographs mm-hmm. when she's tended to Catherine after she's had her ulcer kind of yeah episode episode yeah. so yeah she's obviously kind of mm. done something she shouldn't have been doing but yeah we're, we're not quite sure it seems a bit strange so yeah maybe that will be resolved in the second series redemption in series two perhaps for viv <laughs> <laughs> um i think uh, two of the other actors that we need to to discuss in this uh, is, is cal mackinich mm. um who plays milligan and as you say the the ponytailed falcon loving <laughs> beautiful Ford Sierra driving um, <laughs> villain. Yeah. And he's you know, he's quite a menacing presence. He doesn't have a lot to say or do. No. I mean, just kind of stares a lot or makes threats, but quite an imposing figure. Like, he is very, you know, I, I was quite threatened by him in terms of the, the performance he gives. You know, you, you can tell that he's an evil bastard, you know, but strange choice to give him a falcon. As... <laughs> yeah, so, <what's> this? <laughs> <laughs> we need to make this guy seem a bit more human. <laughs> falcon me. <laughs> I, not a Rottweiler or an Alsatian. We'll give him a falcon <laughs> that he keeps on the balcony in his tenement yeah. and takes up to the roof to when he's chatting to Bill Webster. Mm. Um, yeah, very strange choice, but he's great in this as well, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, very evil bastard, effectively. Yeah, I mean, he's another one that's just been sort of grinding it out for years, you know, like, mm. you know, a few taggarts under his belt. I think the only thing we've done that he's been in is uh, Dez. Uh, he's, uh, he appears in two episodes of Dez as Neil Sinclair. He's um, he's in Calibre as well. Oh, yeah. So he is. Uh, that we covered, yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. I forgot about Calibre. Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he is good in this. Like, I like, like the scene where he eventually gets gets huckled, you know, on the beach. And, um, mm. you know, they just, he, he plays it well because his, his pal runs like fuck well you know <laughs> he sees his uh, henchman or whatever so he sees what's happening and uh and gets off his mark cal plays it well it's that look of resignation we just like mm. fucked it <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah that, well, i'm done um Although I did think that, well, I mean, I don't know, unless the Coast Guard were, were sort of flying round the corner, I don't know why the guys in the boat wouldn't just fucking turn the boat around and fuck off. 
you know, because the police only when he seems to be on the beach. Don't yeah, they? yeah, you would think so. Actually, yeah, they're, they're kind of done for, but then they would maybe just be able to get to them somehow. Mm. I don't. Maybe, maybe they, maybe the production just couldn't afford a helicopter to a, a coast guard helicopter to fly over, put the spotlight on. Yeah, them, you know, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Then I guess the kind of the other main member we have is is Shirley Henderson, mm. is Andrea. Like I say, one of her first roles, and it's it's so strange to see her looking so kind of fresh-faced and young yeah. in this. and But she is absolutely brilliant in this. Just, she kind of steals every scene that she's in. Yeah. And you really you really feel for her, you know, in terms of she's obviously this, you know, the, the, the scene of her shooting up into her foot and then sparking up a fag and yeah. kind of stumbling about. You're just, uh, she's just wonderful in this. But um, what a character as well. And, and heartbreaking. When you find out that she she is HIV positive it's just that that scene is just just absolutely destroying yeah it's really good I mean I I've always really liked her as an actress um you know she's uh there's a film that she's in with Colin Farrell and it's set in Dublin I think it's called uh Meantime no it's called Intermission it's called and she you mm. know and she it's it's a sort of um I think Kelly McDonald's in it too it's got it's a good film and it's kind of it's set in Dublin it's sort of like all these different characters stories and how they all end up sort of coming together I think the do, do, you, do you remember a film called Go? Like an American film called Oh, yeah. Doug? Yeah, I love Go. Yeah, Scott Wolf yeah. and um, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes is in, in it, yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the way that the, the framework of that film is with all these different stories, all these different stories go on and they all connect. Um, and she's she's really good. She's a good Irish accent. I've seen her. Um, I think I mentioned on the podcast before, when I worked at Frankie and Benny's um, on Paisley Roads, we got invited to the Scottish premiere of a Scottish film called American Cousins that she was in. Mm, yeah. um, it's got mm-hmm. a big pussy bumping Cero from The Sopranos is in it. And mm-hmm. um, the guy who plays Neil DiCaprio's pal that he gets on the ship with in Titanic is in it as well. Um, and Shirley Henderson. And I've been trying to find that for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, can't find it anymore. No, I know. I, I, I was looking for it. I was going to suggest it for our next episodes, but I couldn't find it either. But yeah, we, we got invited to the premiere in, in Glasgow at the big cinema on Renfield Street, and she was there for the premiere. And she is she is a tiny woman. <laughs> so she is. She is yeah, uh, you know she is a tiny little thing, um, but she's a great actress, and her you know her her filmography is fucking. She's everything from Star Wars to like Harry Potter, Bridget Jones, one of my favourite movies, Twitter for Party People. She's in as well. She plays uh, Tony Wilson's husband, uh, Tony Wilson's husband, Tony Wilson's wife. Even yeah, she's just she's absolutely brilliant, and like in this, she's really. She's really going for it, I think, especially mm. in that last episode when she, when uh, Andrea decides that she's going to do the right thing and get out from underneath Milligan, and you know, she obviously she gets her diagnosis. She, she, I think she does go a wee bit over the top when uh, she finds mm. out that she's HIV positive in the in the park there. But uh, but yeah, no, she's fucking great in this. Oh, come on, say it, say it. Oh, you didn't need to say it. I know. Oh God, I can see. You're HIV positive. It's okay now, it's passed off. Good, it, it does that sometimes. It's inactive at the moment. I've seen them when it gets bad. 
Oh, God, they go like skeletons. You're still injecting? I told you last night. What else am I going to do? I can help you. I can get you away somewhere. I'll let you dead Paul Ackroyd. Christ, he's dead. I know. The killer made a mistake. If you were willing to help... Oh, do you, do you think like a part like that? Because uh, for us, and I guess it's because we're Scottish, like Shirley Henderson is Shirley Henderson. We know her from so much and so many things that she's been in. Yeah. Whereas when you take a part in something that's so big, you kind of become synonymous with that. So the reason I'm saying this is I was listening to a podcast the other week about Happy Valley because I watched and enjoyed Happy Valley. And Shirley Henderson is in series two of happy valley right and the the hosts of this podcast just kept referring to her as moaning myrtle because <laughs> right. that's all they know her from yeah. from i mean i i think she's, she's not in harry potter films much is she like but she's got this part but that's that's what probably most people will will know her for and it'd be oh it's moaning myrtle whereas you're like jesus christ this woman has done so much you know yeah. incredible work over the years and but because she's had a role in in that big film you know i guess it's like orlando bloom um orlando bloom um elijah wood he'll always be frodo baggins i guess yeah, yeah. um taking on a role in that that kind of area we've spoken about robbie coltrane you know most people there's a whole generation that just know him as hagrid uh-huh. without knowing all the stuff he's been so it's it does that come with a it's like a poison chalice as such but you know what i mean or a, a golden snitch or whatever <laughs> but you know what i mean like is is that you know a kind of a, a is that a detriment to her career that that's what she's probably going to be remembered for I, but I, she's done so much incredible work i mean you know i mean i think one of her favorite uh, Shirley performances is uh, as Bunty in uh, Filth, right? Oh yes, <laughs> Bunty Blades. Um, <laughs> just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Bunty, Bunty, Cunty, Bunty. How does your big minch grow? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, she's just the last thing she's the last sort of big film she was in was uh, See How They Run, um, which is a um, Showtime uh, movie, I think. Um, it's mm. on Disney Plus. It's got like Sam Rockwell in it and uh, Adrian mm. Brody, Reese Shearsmith, and stuff i've not watched it yet but apparently it's really good um and she plays agatha christie in it um hmm. and then sort of tv wise um she's just done the mandalorian she's done four episodes hmm. of the mandalorian but i think she just does voices because it says an anzelian crew and she's in the last star wars film as babu frick which is just a voice hmm. role as well um and she's just they've just remade um talk like the classic uh novel tom jones or the history of tom jones rather um which is coming out this year that she's into so but yeah i mean she's done all sorts i mean obviously and also she was she's a bob servant as well of course another of course favorite one of hers um but yeah she's just she's just never really she's just never really stopped since she started you know um Mm. you know i think it says and it says on here that her first television show was a kid's uh, UK drama series called um, Shadow of the Stone. I don't really remember it. I might have to relook at it mm. on um, on uh, it was on YouTube or something. Um, but ever since then, I mean, she's really quite prolific in terms of her output. You know, she's got like a mm. movie or a TV show every single year since uh, since she started, mm. and mo- and most of which you'd have heard of. <laughs> you know, even if you, you you may not have seen, but you'll yeah. know you'll have heard of it. You know, that's the thing. Is exactly as you say when you're looking through her IMDb, everything that she's pretty much in you're like yep i know that i know that i've seen that yeah it's yeah it's incredible 
the, the output that she has. And to say it's a shame that, um, well, it's maybe not a shame. I'm sure she got paid very well for uh, for the Moaning Myrtle. I know it's it's funny you mentioned that. I was just thinking about Bob Servant the other day because um, I was listening to a Succession a podcast about Succession. Mm. And um, the, it was an American podcast. And of course, the host was speaking about Brian Cox's career and some of the great things that he's done. But of course, they never mentioned, you know, the, the Burger King of Broughty Ferry. <laughs> yeah. And I almost wanted to, you know, email in like, guys, I have got this amazing show that you should watch that is going to blow your fucking mind. If you want to see Brian Cox, like, yeah, as you know, as, as I think we said on the when we did Bob Servant, like it's kind of like what what would happen if it had all gone tits up for Logan Roy and he you yeah. know, had to get a burger fan. <laughs> I kind of, kind of like to watch uh, Bob Servant with that viewpoint nowadays. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's um lovely to uh, to see, but yeah, Shirley Henderson, she's yeah, just wonderful in this. And as you say, maybe a couple of points where she maybe goes a bit over the top. Um, but you know, it's it's one of her very early roles, mm-hmm. so I think it uh, she did hone her craft and and phenomenal when she steps out of that taxi and she's had her glow up, yeah, yeah, and she's in a ball gown. You're like Jesus Christ, you're like oh, you know, she's she looks incredible. Like it's just oh, it's wonderful, and she's great in those last few scenes as well. Uh-huh. Um, you know, when she's kind of in the in the back room with the I don't quite know like the tape recorder was hidden there, but then they still were able to hear her like yeah screaming i don't know yeah i was that was gonna say so that scene it seems like lennox is gonna chuck her over the 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 the, the sort of the kind of wall down and down mm. into the courtyard below but then he seems to have a change of heart because he's lifted he's mm. lifted her away from it you know then he's sort of accosted by everybody who comes to help and comes to save mm. her but be, but be, you know they, they they haven't kind of pulled her from the brink he's sort of it's like he's decided what the fuck am i doing here they can't just throw this girl off this yeah but is it not shock because that's when um she effectively tells him that she's got the virus and oh maybe yeah he's obviously like oh fuck i shagged you a few months (laughs) ago so i've so that's it's almost like a kind of Mm. shock effectively from him like oh christ i've probably got hiv and i've I've passed on to ashley's mum from the two of us (laughs) um who is his wife that is a fucking hell of a deep cut reference, kids. Yeah. Um, all our young listeners will be really pleased with that one. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, that's that's the way I took it. But I, I know what you mean. It is kind of like, and, and surely dropping her off there, it's not a, a massive drop. And it's it's also Edinburgh Castle. I'm pretty sure there's people milling about <laughs> under there. The, it's you know it's not the best place to to throw a, a drug addled prostitute no, off of no, is yeah, it exactly yeah you you said something at the beginning of the podcast which uh is quite you know which just which kind of bears a bit more conversation so we've had we've obviously had train spotting which we've done and train spotting you know the the sort of story of train spotting is very much set in edinburgh of the late 80s near the 90s it is about drug users and shows the consequences of that sort of lifestyle looking after jojo the same, you know, it's covering all the same ground as train spotting, really. Um, mm. You know, like it's, it's obviously well documented that Edinburgh had a serious issue with heroin um, and as a result, HIV and AIDS in the 80s and 90s. But I'm trying to think what other series, because like, it, it's sort of like for this, for the advocates, it's not the, it's it, it's it's kind of the main thing, but it's kind of not either. It's, it, you know, it's sort of about people in power abusing their position, the exploitation of 
of young women, you know, the effect of drugs in the community and whatnot, but also about how this uh, sort of gunslinging young solicitor is, you know, can get to the bottom of it all. You know, but mm. what other, I'm trying to think what other series or films that have been set in or around Edinburgh that have sort of focused on the problems that the city was having in the 80s and 90s? Um, I mean, not so much. I mean, obviously, um, you've got Shallow Grave mm. where Hugo dies for yeah. heroin overdose true, but yeah. you know I mean that's he's English so um, yeah. I guess that doesn't really count as such but um, I don't know you raised quite of a, a valid point there but maybe it does just seem because it is train spotting for example that we that we think of yeah. um, Edinburgh in the kind of late 80s early 90s and exactly as you've said looking after Jojo you know that's because we watched that so recently and that is so um, kind of in our mind about the the drug problem in Edinburgh Mm -hmm. and because of this as well because it's very much you know focused on that maybe it is a we've just kind of hit out and we've watched those three Um, I don't know there there probably is yeah there's the one that we've been trying to get hold of that shoot for the sun with Brian Cox and Jimmy Neal Mm-hmm you know the mm-hmm. one that we've been, we've been trying to find. I mean, there's little bits, there's yeah. little bits and clips of it on on YouTube, um, but I can't seem to maybe have a look in the BFI's. The BFI's got a streaming service. Maybe I'll see if it's on there. Um, but it could be, it could be lost to time. You know what I mean as well. Like I think a lot of TV companies would just sort of tape over stuff. Um, you know they mm. wouldn't necessarily keep keep the uh, these series unless they had been proven to be really successful. But that's not a, that's a film, isn't it? Shoot for the sun. It's not a it's not a TV show. No. So yeah, so maybe there's one, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, but there's a lot of sort of tropes, I think, in this. There's the whole sort of uh, establishment and anti-establishment, you know, of within the the legal circle there. You know, you've got you've got you got mm. Greg, who I guess represents the anti-establishment. You've got Alex, who sort of has a foot in each camp, and then you've got Lennox. You've got this uh, this case that's going on in Brussels that the try to talk her into going mm. over to work on and stuff and the whole kind of public schoolboy thing with um, Campbell and his, mm. his son who's doing the attempting a world record like sailing or something <laughs> like some weird it's a random thing which felt a bit which felt a bit shoehorned in if I'm being honest you know I mean I guess they they kind of needed that there because that's effectively the link that takes down the the drug mm. um you know, kind of the thing at the end, you know, it takes down um, Milligan and, and Bill Webster. Um, and it is very much kind of the, he is the link because Campbell knows what's happening mm-hmm. um, because he's he's found the cocaine in his pocket d- despite the fact he doesn't use. So he he knows what's going on. And then he kind of does tip off Catherine, I think, at the end yeah, in yeah. terms of the, the whole drug thing. So I, I think that was kind of needed. But again, it was it was a, a, like another layer as well of, of something mm. else like I, don't get me wrong as I say obviously I really enjoyed this but it did seem like there was a lot of layers but then is that a bad thing because as we discussed you know I, I'd rather watch something that's going to be a little bit more complex rather than something that is yeah. you know, handed to you um, something you have to actually think about when you're watching and paying attention to you know it's always good to have yeah, that yeah yeah you want something I mean I, I was worried that um, this might be a bit sort of soapy you know I thought it 
you know, mm. be, be, before I started watching, I thought it was just it was going to be about these people um, who work for this law firm and their lives and you know their dealings with each other and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I was I was I was quite relieved when it got going, and you know, the the narrative of the story is sort of is a, is the kind of is a sort of prominent element, and really you don't learn a great deal about the characters in that first series. You know, we've spoken about mm. we've spoken about what we know about Greg. We know that um, Alex Sant. Alex's auntie, Ida Blair, runs the law firm and she's just been taking her oath as an advocate. You know, we don't really know much about Ida Blair's character other than the fact that mm. she is, the law firm is sort of falling in her lap and it's stressing her out and she's friendly with this Judge Campbell, mm-hmm. you know. But that's, that's sort of it, you know, like they don't go, they just sort of tell you enough to kind of flesh out the character and then they sort of focus on this uh, complex narrative and story you know no i think it's um say it's quite well done yeah i think you know overall and i I am looking forward i will watch them series two and in series two to say it's pretty much a completely new cast but it's it's robert carlyle is mm. is one of the main actors and uh, you, you'll be pleased to see your uh, rachel vice oh yes. um plays greg's girlfriend oh, wow. in the uh in the second series yeah. so um i don't know what happened to um to uh stella and uh the lovely alex because i mean it, it's quite clear at the end I, I mean that's kind of the as the episode is is wrapping up i mean i, I do like the um as you mentioned when uh when Milligan is getting arrested mm. on the beach mm-hmm. and the police officer um, says to him, we've got you, Milligan, and I like it. Yeah. I really like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> we've got you, Milligan, and I like it. I really like it. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> um, it's very weird. Yeah. Um, but then uh, when Alex and Greg you know, are leaving the party at Edinburgh Castle towards the end, I mean, it's quite obvious, like, they are going to be getting down and dirty tonight, yeah, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, they go away, sort of all grievances forgotten, arms around each other. He's got his tie loosened off. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a it's like a nineteen eighties like advert for yeah. like a Jaguar or something. Well, that's what my instant thought was. Remember the old Volkswagen adverts? It was kind of like that kind of style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, kind of along that uh, that way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So overall, I thought you know I I really did enjoy the show. You know, the advocates, and I will look for forward to, to watching series two yeah. but uh it's, it's amazing it's taken me so long to uh to actually come round to it but yeah you know thoroughly enjoyable yeah even bill webster i mean <laughs> even seeing bill webster in a sauna um <laughs> kind of got me um you know still enjoyed it yeah i mean the actor although we're calling him um we keep calling him bill webster but the actor's name is actually peter armitage um and unfortunately he passed away uh, a few years ago of cancer sadly but he had been coming back to coronation street over and over again from like the late 1970s to um as 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 recently as i think the sort of late 2000s something like the mid 2000s unfortunately he, he he passed away but he also um appeared in some classics uh, the Sweeney and mm. uh, and the professionals as well, um, amongst other things. He's a uh, <laughs> sort of. I'm not quite sure about the character of Veach that he plays because he's supposed to be. Was he supposed to be a guy who works for Jet Homes or owns? Or he's a builder or something like that. Yeah. Or, but he's that he's got. He's entangled with these drug guys in Edinburgh. He's supposed to have been in a bit of trouble with the law in uh, Newcastle mm. as well like fraud and stuff um, and then of course the only reason he's in court is because Dr. Sankster fucking twats someone at the 
at the at, at the community meeting. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's trying to get this housing development over the the mark, and unfortunately, Doctor Sangster's clinic is kind of in the way. So that's when we see him. He's getting those. Dirty needles. Yeah. Well, we don't know they're dirty. They're just needles. You know, these needles. Yeah. He's, he's getting them from Milligan and seeing that he found them in the area so that the local community will be outraged. Yeah, I mean, he's a... Just a fucking... A dirty... Yeah. Twat. It's a, a wronging. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, well, I think we should definitely watch the second episodes, the second series, rather, for a future episode of hmm. the Culture Spirit. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely... I might even watch the... I haven't watched it because I didn't want to mm-hmm. kind of spoil difficult speaking about the um, series one when you've seen series two so yeah but i think i'll definitely watch it probably yeah. in the near future um but yeah i think we'll cover it um on a later episode as well and uh yeah did, going to depth i'd like to see what happens and what develops did you watch it with uh with the the lovely uh mrs nicky no or, uh, no i didn't no i just watched it myself yeah me too i just i, I, I yeah. cranked it out uh all three episodes back to back uh on thursday morning <laughs> so <laughs> i am um, i did figure because it's quite um because it's quite old and dated i did figure that it might be a bit too yeah you know, old yeah you know, keep her well she's young right so maybe not keep her attention it's <laughs> <laughs> A couple of years younger than me, right? <laughs> She's young. Jesus Christ. Younger. Uh, oh. no, I'm only kidding. Cool. So is it time to put the advocates through our Swally Awards? Yeah, I think we could. Yeah, why not? Let's uh, let's do it. What have we got first? So uh, first award then. So the uh, as we made an unexpected appearance on the pod earlier on, the episode earlier on, the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Uh, what, uh, who'd you pick? I actually went with Cal Mackinich oh, did you? for this. Mm. Just going back through his history, he, he's been in a lot of Scottish stuff. So yeah, that's who I went for. Right. What about yourself? I went for Clive Russell, uh, who plays the oh. uh, plays the, 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 the policeman, although he's not actually Scottish. Uh, he was born in, <laughs> but well, he was he was born in uh, in Yorkshire, but he was brought up in Fife. So he is he does. He does speak with a Scottish accent. It's fine, he counts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I went for him because he does. He he's been in a, a lot of stuff, uh, in, 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 including um, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright's uh, celebrated Spaced. Um, if there's the there's the comic book editor or company owner or something, whatever. Ah, oh, that famous Scottish sitcom Spaced. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, the Bobby Bar- Bobby the Barman Award for Best Pub. So we have, I, I counted three, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there's the wine bar that Alex and Catherine have a drink in yep. when they're speaking about Brussels. Yep. There's the pub that Greg meets Sam, the policeman in, mm-hmm. in episode two. And then there's this pub where Milligan meets Campbell's son and there appears to be a drag act <laughs> on in the background whilst he's playing the puggy, yeah. which I thought was a bit strange. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick one of those three, I'm picking the one that uh, Greg and Sam are yeah. in episode two that looks like a right fucking nice little pub nice little boozer um i, I wouldn't be a, adverse to the wine bar either I, I don't know if i could handle the the pub in episode three it's about it looks a bit too uh yeah rough and ready yeah. for my liking but it's sort of it's got kind of pink triangle vibes about it that pub so it does <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the one in episode two, definitely. That looks like a great little boost. It does, yeah. But I, the wine bar didn't do it for me, I'm afraid. Um, ah, okay. So it reminded me, of that, reminded me a little bit of that weird bar in the in the Big Man, remember, that um, that Liam Neeson goes to, that sort of 1980s sort of neon. Oh, yeah. You know, the sort of this, yeah. last place you go for a pint. Yeah. Okay. The next one then, the Jake McQuillan, your tea 
award would you go for? I mean, there's only, ah, only one, right? Sangster smacking Bill Webster, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, in episode one, yeah. It's a, a hell of a, a punch. I've, uh, I've written down here, Dr. Thumps Kevin's da. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, next one. <laughs> sitting, sitting laughing at my own joke like a cunt here. <laughs> okay, so next one then... Um, I mean, I couldn't find anything to give this award to, but the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. It's just um, (laughs) Bill Webster's big (laughs) omelette nipples in um, in the sauna. Uh, Yeah. If I can can steal a line from Robulus Roy there. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was was the only nudity, yes. Just the the two of them topless in the sauna with their towels around. And just, yeah, pumping soap from the dispenser and off and having a shower straight out of the sauna. I thought that was quite a a strange little setup there that they have in that health club. Yeah, but these these guys weren't weren't metrosexuals that you and I, Nikki, you know, we would be in there with our with our products. Yes. You know? uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a moment when I thought uh, Cal's cock might make an appearance there. In <laughs> <laughs> that scene, because he's sort of lying down uh, on the sauna, and he, he he gives he gives Bill a bollocking, and then he sort of sort of gets up quite abruptly, and he's got quite a- gives him a <laughs> gives him a bollock. <laughs> <laughs> he gets up quite abruptly, and he's only got quite a short sort of towel on. I thought, oh, yeah. look out! Um, but f- fortunately, no. Fortunately, it stayed where it was. We didn't see his cockerel, yeah. just his falcon, just his falcon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, next one then. So again, you know, prime time. ITV early 1990s mm. bit of a difficult one but the the Francis Begbie award for for gratuitous swearing I don't think there's anything above a kind of bloody or a bollocks is there in it maybe a shit you know I was quite surprised because I mean this must have been on about nine o'clock yeah the, the peak tide like kind of that time so I thought there might be a few because I watched this twice and the second time I really carefully listened out and I found one mm. um and it is a it's a great delivery it, it is Andrea um when she's speaking to um to Greg's mum mm. when she's kind of looking after um in episode three and the uh, Doogie Allen's went um who says it's because you scared the shite out of yeah, yeah and that's kind of that was all I had again as you say there was a few bloodies but there's nothing mm-hmm like really bad um yeah. in it which which kind of surprised me no i wasn't that surprised because i don't think you really got i mean certainly wouldn't have had any f bombs being dropped at that time on the tele- mm. on the tele- i mean i think even like movies like if they showed robocop or something like that at 10:30 at night i think quite a lot of the swearing would have been cut out you know what i mean mm. um it just wasn't uh just wasn't allowed um yeah. Okay, like archetypal Scots moment. Party at Edinburgh Castle with bagpipes and kilts, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. What else? Or do you have something else? Yeah, I've put... Uh, Is it heroin in it? No, no. I, I did think about putting that, but it seems a bit distasteful. Yeah, no, I had Greg's suspicion and disdain for public schoolboys. <laughs> something... <laughs> <laughs> there's something there's something sort of really quite Scottish about that them and us kind of uh, you know because he, he's sort of lamenting at the end about how Campbell's son is just going to get sort of walk away from it and all that and you know and because of yeah. who he is by the public school boys and all that sort of stuff and I thought yeah it's quite you know it's quite a Scottish thing 
especially when you've done yeah. when you've just done when you've just done four years at Cambridge, probably this, <laughs> surrounded by public schoolboys. Um, Very true. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, who uh, Sean Connery Award? Who did who won the production? Um, kind of torn here. Like, I mean, you and Stuart. Because it, it is his vehicle, yeah, effectively. Yeah. But I kind of, kind of give it to Shirley Henderson. Yeah, I give it to Shirley Henderson. I mean, I thought, you and Stuart's great. And like I said mm. at the beginning of the episode, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure about him as a as a leading man because everything else that I've seen him in, he's been, he's either been like a kind of bit player or he's been part of the mm. ensemble, if you like, like in the, looking after Jojo. I think that's probably one of his best performances um, yeah. as an actor. But he's all, but he's you know, he's sort of bumping elbows with real fucking heavyweights as well, like Kevin McKidd and Robert Carlyle and all yeah. that kind of thing. And he's he's you know, he's absolutely excellent. But I thought Shirley Henderson, considering that, you know, kind of young actress, it, that part could have been it could have been a bit, you know, it I think she elevates the role, the way she mm. plays it. I think you know it could have been a, quite a different character without her uh, interpretation of it. And I think, it, I think especially in the last episode, you know, she's really sort of knocking it out of the park. You know, so I gave it, to, yeah. I gave it to her as well. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think she she puts in a a great performance. And as you say, it could have been a bit of a bit part role. You mm-hmm. know, she's it's a poor little prostitute with HIV. Yeah, you yeah, know, drug addicted, but. She really um, delivers this kind of gravitas, and and you really feel for her. And you're kind of when she's confronting uh, towards the end, you know, mm. when she's confronting um, Lennox, yeah. you kind of you're really kind of rooting for her. Like, go on, go on, yeah. tell him you've got the the virus, and he's probably got it as <laughs> yeah. well. Go on, you know, kind of the the comeuppance. But, um, but yeah, but, no, she's great. I think it, I it's always good to see a character who has you know we've we've, we've seen her being abused. A bit by Milligan, you know, he gives her a slap mm. um, in one episode, and he's he's she's clearly under his control. She's clearly a vulnerable character, and it's always good when you see these kind of vulnerable, sort of oppressed characters sort of shaking it off and standing up for themselves. You know, and she, mm. you know she does it really well. Yeah, because yeah, she, I mean, she the whole thing. You know she's great. The, the, the scene where she's um, when you and Stuart picks her up mm-hmm. um, to to kind of question her, she's she's brilliant in terms of the, the kind of quick witted. You know, yeah. oh we're doing it in the back of the car. Oh, have you got a hotel room? Yeah, like it's yeah cheeky little prostitute. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Cheeky, um, <laughs> cheeky little prostitute. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, great. Well, that was series one of The Advocates. And as I say, it is available to watch on YouTube. I think all episodes are separate. Um, series two, I've also found on YouTube, but somebody has put them all together as like one, one big long one film. Oh. So it's like, yeah, it's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. So, but it's, it's no problem because you watch the, the first series yeah. in it. And I wonder as well. Yeah, it's so fine. it's all fine. Uh, right. Well, that was my choice, Greg. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be looking at next time on the Culture Swally? So I've I've gone for another Scottish crime series. One that I remember watching when it was on. Um, it was on in 2010. Um, sorry, 2011. Um, it's based on the novels of Scottish crime writer Denise Miner. Uh, and it's it stars, and this is a absolutely packed cast. It stars Matt Costello, Ford Kiernan, David Morrissey, Peter Capaldi, Brian Pettifer, Jade Johnson, Brona Gallagher, 
uh, and it's um, the field of blood. Ah, mm. I've never seen that. No, I think you. I you think you were massive. in Dubai when it was in the TV? Yeah, yeah. so that obviously would have passed me by. Yeah. I've never seen that, but I, I does ring a bell. Mm. So I will. Uh, I'll have to. Yeah. Well, obviously, I'll have to give it a watch. <laughs> so I'll fucking review it in two weeks' time. So. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to it. It'll be a bit of a, a short podcast <laughs> if I don't watch it. It'll just be, it'll just be me talking about it, just me, me oh, telling yeah. you all about it. Um, but yeah. Didn't bother. Couldn't be arsed. Mm. Oh, no, it sounds great. Yeah, so, no, I'll look forward to that. I'd love a good day. Uh, so, uh, two episodes. Two episodes. Um, yeah, see these one, two episodes. Um, the Field of Blood. Yeah. Right. I will uh, I'll get on that um, and look forward to discussing that with you on the next episode. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show and you can follow us on the socials. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. And if you have seen anything in the news you'd like us to cover or if you have anything that you would like us to to review on the podcast then you can get in touch with us on culturespally at gmail.com and just feel free to drop us a line and and say hello as well we'll get back to you and greg we have a wonderful website as well don't we we do uh, you can find us at culturespally.com um, and the, in the last episode, I was saying that it was a little bit neglected. I have since done some work on it. I've updated the Swally, the Swally Tally. I've updated all the episode links. Uh, and there'll be a new blog post uh, by the time this episode comes out as well. So come and check us out. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Greg. Much appreciated. Uh, you up to anything else exciting today? Uh, no. Um, I think we're going to go... The family and I have been watching MasterChef Junior on the Gordon Ramsay one from the US. I wasn't quite prepared for what an emotional roller coaster <laughs> it is when these, like, the kids are between eight years old and uh, 12 years old. And obviously, one gets, like, sent home every week. And it's uh, the last few episodes have been quite tough. You become quite attached to the little characters and stuff, you know what I mean? And then. Uh, <laughs> And then big big Gordo fucking sends one home for making a cunt of their their meal or whatever it is. So uh, so yeah, I've got it's, we've got the semi final and the final to watch tonight. So uh, yeah, oh. so sort of strapping myself in for that emotional whirlwind. <laughs> oh well, I hope you manage to to get over yeah, and, it, so and it's all okay. Just have a box of tissues ready. <laughs> um, not for that reason, obviously. Um, but yeah, just have a box of tissues. Ready. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, enjoy and uh, yeah, I'll look forward to uh, to catching up with you on the next episode alright Greg till next time till next time where are we going then you're quite attractive you know what it's a change let's do without the soundtrack shall we where do you usually go depends it's not a backseat job is it a marquee don't tell me I got lucky and you booked into a room at the plaza Take me where Julie went. Who's Julie? She died. <laughs> oh, you want to forget Julie? You want your regulars? I do everything she did. I do some things better. You're full of the same stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs>